25. So as I prepared this sermon, reading Psalm 25 and the associated commentaries, it soon became the balm for my contorted and self-tortured soul. So this psalm is the first in a series of penitential, penitential psalms that teach us how to pray even as we confess our sins and call upon God and his mercy. It is here that I confess. What do I confess? I was praying that I was praying to change God, asking him to go in the paths that I thought were right and proper. For a season, I was praying in this manner, and God was not budging. As the psalm opened to me, I soon realized that I needed to confess my sin and pray that God would forgive me, that God would teach me instead of me teaching God. Instead of trying to lead God like, a, like I was, I was trying to lead God as a stubborn ox or a dumb donkey, I needed to follow the master. As we follow our master, let us take up this psalm, and even as we learn to pray and converse with him. There's another interesting thing about this psalm. It doesn't show up in the English language, but it is a, an acrostic psalm. Let me explain a little bit. There are, there are indeed 22 verses to this psalm, and each of the verses starts with a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So the first verse, if it were in English, would be like A for apple. Second verse would be B for boy. Third verse, C for cat. In this way, the psalm was easier to memorize and then recall as one found themselves in prayer. Well, we're not Hebrew scholars. So my encouragement is to read part of a psalm or a whole psalm each day <laughs> and let it be your guide in prayer. So before reading this particular psalm, let us pray to God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, even as your Son taught us to pray, we ask that you continue to teach us to pray, even as, we, even as you open our eyes to your word, change our affections that we might show ourselves to be sons of glory. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we walk through this psalm and learn again to pray, I will, try, I will take a few verses at a time starting with verses 1 through 3. Psalm 25, a psalm of David. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Maybe you caught it. The word ashamed is used three times in these opening verses. David finds himself downcast, and his enemies are dealing with him in a treacherous manner. It appears they're going to have triumph. With a downcast soul, David does the only thing he knows to do. He lifts up his soul to God. He cries out in prayer. As we read about David in, the, in Scripture... We may find many occasions for, for his soul to be downcast. Yet, the commentaries suspect, and I with them, that the occasion for this psalm was when David's son, Absalom, David's son, Absalom, stood at the gates and won the people's hearts. And then 
forced David to leave the capital city. Absalom dealt with his father, his gracious father, in a treacherous manner, even as he amassed the troops and sought to kill his own father. There was no cause for his son to hate his father and to seek his life. David and a handful of men, a handful of people, escaped Jerusalem as quickly as possible before Absalom could take control of the armory and the treasury. At this time of Absalom's rebellion, David is an older man. Let's say he's in his 60s. Instead of trusting in his own strength and military prowess, David turns to God. How shameful it is to be booted out of your own kingdom by your own son. When we think of a son seeking to destroy or to dethrone and then kill his father, we rightly assume something has gone drastically wrong in that family. The book of Proverbs tells us that a fool, a fool, brings shame upon his parents for something went drastically wrong in that household. And now it is causing David shame. If you dig back in the history of David, when he was a young man, remember how he's praying? Forgive me for the sins of my youth. When David was a young man, he casts his eyes upon Bathsheba bathing on her rooftop. Though she was married, David took her for a time as his wife, and she conceived a child. Once the news reached David's ear, he sought to cover it up, cover up his adultery. Ultimately, he tried to deceive her faithful husband, Uriah, who was also a loyal soldier in David's army. Uriah did not fall for David's ruse, and then David had him conveniently killed in battle. A decade or so later, David's grown sons follow in his footsteps regarding sexual sins and abuse of power. And this leads to David being tossed out of his kingdom. Like chickens, our sins come to roost. Actions have consequences, and this is to our shame. There is no hiding the consequences of sin. That which is done in secret and we hope we'll stay in secret, then it's announced from the rooftops. Have your chickens come back to roost? Is shame upon you? What are you to do? We find the answer for this question, to this question in, answer, in verses 4 and 5. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all day. In humility, David comes before the Lord, his Lord, and says, Show me your ways, teach me your paths, lead me and teach me your truths. This request is also an admission, admonition or admission that sin comes when we think we know the way, when we walk in our own paths thinking we have the truth. So I would say Carrie Underwood's song, Jesus Take the Wheel, epitomizes where David found himself. You might know the song. The woman in the song grew up knowing the gospel, decided to chart her own course. She has a child out of wedlock, and now she's driving home to see her parents during a snowstorm. There's a baby in the back seat, sleeping, comfortably sleeping. 
she loses control of the car on a slippery road and cries out, Jesus, take control. Take the wheel. When shame comes upon us, we must acknowledge that we've been trying to lead or drive. This is a formula for ongoing destruction. Cry out to God. Jesus, take the wheel. You alone can provide salvation. Try it. There cannot be two people driving the car. Only one can steer. Which is it? His way? His path? Or you doing what is right in your own eyes? How many times must we crash the car on the road of life before we say, Jesus, take the wheel? After experiencing a foolish crash, David continues his prayer in verses 6 and 7. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are, of, they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me, for your goodness' sake, O Lord. So, in the face of his foolish or youthful sins, David beseeches God for his tender mercies. The loving kindnesses and mercies which have been from of old. Indeed, David's sins did start with his youth and has continued in them for a long time. In comparison, God's mercies are from old, from the beginning, from creation. And God's mercies and goodness have been going on far longer than any of our foolishness. These same mercies from God will continue long after we're gone, and God will bless those who come after us namely our children. When measured in time, God's mercies outlast our foolishness. When measured in depth, God's loving kindness is deeper than our sins and transgressions. And here we give thanks. Here now verses 8 through 11. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth, to such as keep covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. If you have lived long enough, you have surely found yourself with a mess you have created by your own foolish behavior. Some would say you have played the fool, now you must live with the results. Here David confesses that God is good and upright. David, has, David acknowledges that he has learned this lesson. He is humble and he begs God would teach him and guide him. As he confesses his sins, David doesn't try to marginalize them. He does not call his sins lapses in judgment or say, oh, they were no big deal. Or he doesn't try to blame others. He could have said, well, you know, Bathsheba, well, she was up on that roof bathing. And who bathes on the rooftop anyways? And what's a man to do? He didn't do any of that. Instead, in verse 11, David takes full responsibility and he says his iniquity is Taking full responsibility for your sin is the first step in finding forgiveness and wholeness. 
To repent is to turn around completely and go in a different direction. Recognizing that we are doing, that, that what we've done in taking the wheel, and that we are ready to be guided and taught by him. As we speak about being guided and taught, this is not to be seen as a way like a professor dispenses knowledge to college students. Instead, in verse 10, David speaks of living in a covenantal relationship with God. As a wife lives with her husband, that's what it means to live in covenant. This example is further developed from the passage, uh, from the passage that we read about Paul's teaching to the Ephesians, where he says, wives, submit to your husbands, as, even as even as the church submits to Christ. Like a faithful wife, we are called to live in covenant with Jesus. Instead of trying to lead, we are called to faithfully follow his lead. With attentive ears, we listen as he washes us with the word. In loving submission, we give our entire self to him. And this is where we find fruitfulness, as we follow him where he takes us. Now, as a woman marries, she takes the name of her husband because he is the lead. He is the head. We, too, are known by our Savior's name. He is our head. He is our leader. We are no longer named by our past. That unfaithfulness is forgotten. We are now covered by him and known by his name. And this is to our glory. Our sins were great, but his love and mercies are greater. Here now, verses 12 through 15. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him, him shall he teach in the way he chooses. Him, he himself shall dwell in prosperity. His descendants shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord. He shall pluck my feet out of the net. Remember that David started this psalm with a downcast soul. He was living with shame or the consequences of his prior sinful actions. As David committed those sinful <coughs> actions, starting with casting longing eyes at the naked Bathsheba, there was no fear of God, but only overriding desire to please himself. David is finding wisdom as he acknowledges that God acts like a loving father who disciplines his children. As a child, David has learned that a few moments in the bed with Bathsheba were not worth a lifetime of pain, suffering and shame upon him and his family. David is learning to fear his heavenly father and is now in a position to learn more from him. David has been <laughs> humbled. He is now teachable. And this we call meek. Those who are meek or teachable are pliable. Not in the hands of men, but in the hands of God. Are you pliable in the hands of God? Or are you still trying to shape yourself and your future? Are you still trying to drive the car? Or have you crashed enough and now crying, Jesus Take the wheel. The consequences of David's sins broke, the heart, uh, broke his heart as his children suffered. 
If you continue in selfish disobedience, your children and grandchildren will also suffer, even those who are not yet born. If a man is an alcoholic, his children will suffer. He will suffer and so will his children. The alcoholic man has an idol. And the scripture tells us that his children will suffer to the third and fourth generation. You might ask, how will they suffer? Children learn from parents. The children of alcoholics will think that drowning in drink is the solution to their problems. The sins you tolerate today will be learned by your children. So fear God and repent. To those, to those men who fear God, that show themselves meek and teachable, Scripture says that their children will inherit the earth. The children of a righteous man who has confessed his sins and seeks to walk in faithfulness, God will bless his grandchildren. As usual, the blessings far outweigh the punishment. In his sermon, on which we call the Beatitudes, Jesus echoes this teaching when he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. As a father lives in covenant with God and learns from him, then they faithfully walk in the, God's ways, so his children will follow his father in faithfulness. The effects of sin were felt for three or four generations upon the idolater, but to the one who, who lives in faithful covenant with God, Submitting to his Lord, we are told that God will bless to a thousand generations. Men, consider what's at stake. Fear God. Fear his words and choose life for, your, for you. Demonstrate the faithfulness for your family. Demonstrate faithfulness for your family to emulate to a thousand generations. As you walk with him, know that he will rescue you. From your sinful stupidity, he will save you from the net, from that which you find yourself trapped. As this, remember, all this starts with what? A full-throated repentance. No holding back. No excuses. No diminishing any of your sins, but a call on him to repent. A call on him and then repent. Here now the last seven verses of this psalm, starting with verse 16. Turn yourself to know, turn yourself to me, and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look on my affliction and my pain, and forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let, let me not be ashamed for I put my trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me. I will wait on you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all their troubles. In humble, in humble fear, David pleads for God's mercies. The troubles that David faces are expanding and pulling him downward like quicksand. David acknowledged that his sinful actions are the source of his troubles and pleads that God would nip the bud of the poisonous plant. In sinful affections, if the sinful affections are nipped, they will no longer continue to destroy and grow. 
God teaches hard lessons. As he links our, our sins with their consequences. Facing the consequences of our sins can be a hard lesson. But hard lessons are not soon forgotten. Tell your children of these hard lessons that they may avoid the sins that easily entangle. David's sins that he conducted in the confines of his bedroom yielded painful consequences upon many. To learn the important lesson of treating sin lightly, David has affliction, ongoing pain, and his enemies include his and his enemies, he has enemies, including his own children. In humility, David confesses that he has made a royal mess of his life. He turns immediately and asks God to deliver him, to set things in order, to preserve him. At the beginning of this sin, David rushed off in a minute and fulfilled the desires of his flesh. Now he's facing the consequences. David has said he's learned to wait upon God patiently. It took seconds to make a mess of things. Now it might take a year, years or decades to set them straight. Can something so horrific like David's sin yield any good? David prays that God would redeem Israel out of their trouble. And the first step of this redemption is that the people of God would turn and learn from David's example. Think for a minute. Recorded in Holy Scripture, to be read for eternity are the details of David's sins. His fall, his repentance, God restoring him. Indeed, God is making good use of David's dirty laundry. For all to see, David's sins that were done in secret are announced from the rooftop for us to take note, to learn the lesson without having to personally experience the pain. Look at David's life. His sins resulted and the results that and the came from that. His daughter, his daughter was raped by her brother. And another son killed another brother. And now this son is trying to kill David. These are hard lessons. David learned to fear God. Do you also fear God? Do you need to learn some of these hard lessons? Please make good use of David's suffering and fear God. Remember how, how this psalm ends. David prays that God would redeem Israel, which is to say that they might please learn the lessons, these sinful mistakes. Now, how about a few applications from this penitential psalm? First, understand that God sees all, he knows all, and he is in control. And he's a loving father. Where we find broken relationships, where troubles abound, where there are financial and health issues, there you might find sin as the source of trouble. Take inventory and determine if these issues are the consequences of sin. As a good father, God will discipline us so that we learn the lesson and walk in fear. He's faithful. He's patient. He will continue to spank us until we learn the lesson. He does not spare the rod. And he is driving out foolishness from our heart. He is saving our soul from hell. When life is complicated and the drama continues, tensions grow, look to the source of trouble, namely unrepentant and ongoing sin. Here, I'm asking you to look for sin, for your sin, and do not spend much time considering someone else's sin. 
So the first application is sin has consequences. And those consequences can be painful. Imagine if real life were like the way it's portrayed in Hollywood. People would live together out of wedlock. They could sin up a storm and there would be no consequences. No lesson to be learned. Instead, God is merciful and he teaches us that our actions have consequences so that we can turn and go the other way. This brings me to the second application, namely true repentance. Remember Pharaoh? When experiencing the plagues Moses brought, he repented, kind of. God was indeed disciplining Pharaoh. And what did Pharaoh do? He beseeched Moses, take away the consequences of my sin, namely the flies, the frogs, and the lice. Pharaoh hated the consequences of sin, but he never learned to hate his hard heart. I know you hate the broken relationships, the child born out of wedlock, and living in financial hell. But behind these hard providences, can you see the loving hand of a heavenly father waiting for you to yield and submit? Our loving heavenly father will continue to spank, treating us like the three-year-old son who thinks running into traffic is great. So the child hates the spanking, but the father will continue the spankings, even as he's trying to spare his son from greater pain that involves moving vehicles. Our loving Father, our loving Heavenly Father has, has us face our shameful pain until we learn our lesson. Is there an area in your life that you are glad is hidden from the world? Even as David was hiding the relationship with Bathsheba, these things will not go away with time. They don't get better. Repent of your disobedience where your heart has been cold and stubborn like Pharaoh. Show yourself meek, teachable, and pliable in the hands of God. Be prepared to live covenantally with God. And this I call the third and last application of this psalm. Our sins, though we think they are in secret, have consequences. Men, if you're peeking at pornographic sites, this will have consequences more than you can imagine. Women, if you indulge yourself in sinful fantasies, that you, that, you would have, that you would be embarrassed or shameful if they were made public, these will have consequences. Children, are you doing things that you're glad, you're glad are hidden from your parents? God knows. And as a loving father, he will discipline you. So as families live in covenant with each other, those who are in Christ live in covenant with each other. We are part of one body. When the hand or the eye sin, the whole body suffers. When you sin in private, know that your sin hurts others of whom you are connected in covenant. If, you're, if you sin, your children yet unborn will suffer. Even to, if you continue in that sin, even to the third or fourth generation. If a father has an outburst of wrath, or mother uses guilt to manipulate her children, those children will grow up, grow up following those sinful patterns. As they grow up, they will tell themselves, I will never take part, I will never take on my parents' sinful behavior. But guess what? They will. 
We live in covenant. We learn by watching. Children and others will learn more by what they are seeing than by what they hear. Be fearful, for this is how God made the world. If you now fear God, rejoice in how he's made the world. Be thankful to God and learn from him. In fearful submission, follow the Lord. Walk in his ways. Learn from him. As you live in covenant in him, submitting to him as a faithful wife submits to her husband. Understand the blessings. God says to those that are faithful, to those that love him, he will bless their children, not to the third or fourth generation, but to the thousand generations. Sinful practices can harm for a time. So repent of those family sins, not just the consequences. But to the disobedient, they will, but, and break those sinful habits. Put on new obedience and rejoice that your children, your grandchildren, will emulate faithful obedience. And God will bless to a thousand generations. Now you have learned that those who repent show themselves meek and teachable. They and their family for a thousand generations will inherit the earth. May God be praised for his goodness. People of God, let's pray. Gracious Father, we know that repentance or a softness of heart is a gift from you. Send us your people, send us your people a willingness to repent of our sins, to walk in newness of life, that we and our family may inherit this earth, even as we repent. Teach us to call other others, other people, nations, tongues, and tribes to repent and live in covenant with you. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.